Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. This is Anna Jaworski, and I hope you've been enjoying our spotlight on cardiac athletes. Lars Andrews wrote a book called Cardiac Athletes, and he was a guest on Heart to Heart with Anna. He's now gearing up to assemble Cardiac Athletes 2, featuring stories about athletes who have undergone cardiac procedures. Some of the athletes were born with congenital heart defects, and some have acquired heart disease. I've been enjoying interviewing some of the athletes who will be featured in his new book. Today, we'll meet Neil Collins. So welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Neil. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm excited to learn about what your cardiac condition is, Neil. I have a bicuspid aortic valve, which I think you were saying is the most common type of congenital heart defect. So for those that don't know, your aortic valve normally has three leaflets and some are born with only two. So it tends to cause narrowing within the valve, which is sort of a lifelong condition, which is usually only treated by surgery or I guess getting lucky and just having a valve to last through your whole life. Right. A lot of times people don't even realize they have a bicuspid aortic valve until they go in for surgery. And it's discovered by accident. But there are people yeah. who have a bicuspid aortic valve, and it gives them problems from an early age. I don't know if you know Robbie Benson. I'm dating myself because I grew up with Robbie Benson on the big screen. He's an actor. Do you know him? I do not know who that is, no. Okay, so he was in Ice Castles and a whole bunch of other movies. That was my favorite movie that Robbie Benson was in. So here he was an actor, and he often played athletes. And all of a sudden, he was having trouble breathing and come to find out he had a bicuspid aortic valve. And he actually wrote a memoir about his life and talked about his condition. I love the title of his book. It's called I'm Not Dead Yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's had to undergo several procedures. Did you have to have any procedures done on your bicuspid aortic valve? I have. November of 2015, I had my aortic valve replaced. Basically, leading up to that, I was always fairly healthy and fairly active within the last you know, few years. And I think with an aortic valve, when it gets bad, it gets bad quite quickly. So one year at, uh, within doctor visits. So every year I was going in you know, once per year. 2014, it was looking okay. And then 2015, it had deteriorated quite a bit. So did you have a Ross procedure? I did not, actually. And funny enough, I was looking at the Ross procedure. When I went in there, I was 44. The doctor that I was going to see, I had mentioned the Ross procedure because it looked like a really interesting procedure. For my listeners who may not know what a Ross procedure is, a Ross procedure is where they take your pulmonary valve and they use that valve in place of your aortic valve, and then they put a mechanical valve or a pig valve in your pulmonary position. And the reason they do that is because... The pulmonary valve doesn't have to work quite as hard as what the aortic valve does. And so if you can keep your own valve, 
then at times you would like to think anyway that they have better results, and so that's what yeah. the Ross procedure is. And, and generally, they use a. Uh, I know in Canada they use a, a donor valve or a cadaver valve for the pulmonary position. Mm-hmm. So the doctor that I went to see, he was actually a specialist in the Ross procedure. He was a pediatric cardiologist. So. Here I was, 44 years old, and going to see a uh, pediatric cardiologist at the Children's Hospital in Vancouver. So it was an interesting experience when you go in for an x-ray. And they say, are are you sure you're supposed to be here? (laughs) Yeah, uh, and you don't fit into chairs in the waiting room, right? (laughs) Yeah, they didn't give me any stickers or tattoos, so I was a bit disappointed. So, yeah, in talking to the doctor, the Ross procedure, you know, More and more people are having these valve replacements. Valve selection is becoming a big issue for them. So in my case, I thought that the Ross procedure would have been a really good fit for me because, you know, I was running a lot and doing marathons and just starting to get into triathlons and that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, in, in talking to him, the procedure itself is quite a bit more complicated than a simple valve swap. So the operation is almost twice as long. Sure. You're on the bypass machine for double the time. So, you know, anytime you're on that bypass machine... The risks are going to be greater for clots or, you know, any right. kind of any further complications. So mm-hmm. for me, I had a young family and there were other good choices out there with tissue and mechanical valves. So I elected not to have the Ross procedure in short. So just the risks were for my own personal comfort, which is too high. And it would have resulted in having to have a valve operation later on as well again. Right, right. And one of the things that parents need to know is that if your doctor is talking to you about doing this for your child, the nice thing about using your own tissue is it can grow with you. But since Neil was an adult, that wasn't even a consideration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's, you know, the Ross procedure is a really good choice for those that are younger. Mm -hmm. And that was the big concern when I was growing up was, is the valve growing with me? So when I was 13, I had an angiogram. So they actually went in and took some pictures of the valve because back then I think the echocardiograms weren't as accurate. So they really wanted to know if that valve was growing with me. And if it wasn't, then I would have had to have surgery when I was a teenager as well. Right, right. So you were lucky and didn't end up needing surgery until you were in your 40s? Yeah, I was really, really lucky. Yeah, I was very fortunate. So with those born with congenital heart defects, it can be a lifelong disease where you're having operations, especially as a newborn, and then in your teens as you grow, and then also as you get into adulthood. Right. So you did not have a Ross procedure. So what kind of valve did they decide to use? I ended up going with a tissue valve. So, you know, it used to be up until, you know, even just a couple of years ago, if you were under, let's say, 55, you would just automatically get a mechanical valve because the subsequent surgeries of a tissue valve, generally, they only last 10 to 15 years. So you would be faced with further surgeries later on in life as well. So I ended up just going with the tissue valve. And, you know, I'm also an airline pilot. So at that time, I was off work and you know, I would like to go back to work, obviously. And uh, I ended up just going with a tissue valve because it would have been a lot easier just to get my medical back at that point. So were you in jeopardy of losing your job because of this procedure? Yeah, there was always questions about what would happen, you know, what the end result would be, what the recovery would look like. As the valve deteriorated, I ended up losing my medical about six months before surgery. So I was off in total for about a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. The most common themes that I hear is why. She always needed um, a lot of attention. She had strokes. Even though it's a natural inclination to 
withdraw from the CHD community. I think being a part of it helped me be part of the solution. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern. I'm Michael Lieben, and I'll be your host as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. Home Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home Tonight Forever. And so you were an athlete before. You had your yes. heart surgery, and you belong to the cardiac athlete group. So what does being yeah. a cardiac athlete mean to you? Being a cardiac athlete, it's a great group of people. It's people from all over the world. And there's people from late teens to into their 70s and, you know, everything in between. And the cardiac athletes also have a group on Strava, which is sort of a social online platform for sharing your runs and your events. And it's really inspiring to see what people can do and not use their heart disease or their congenital heart defects as a limitation. So there's people that have had sudden cardiac arrest during a marathon and recovered and and joined the cardiac athletes group and people that have had valve replacements or people with pacemakers. You know, there's people with pacemakers that are doing amazing things on there. I know. I've been so inspired by the cardiac athletes I've met so far, and they're not all runners. Some of them, like Lisa Johnson, she was a power lifter and she did MMA yeah. yeah. <laughs> she did MMA and <laughs> she's an ultimate fighter. Yeah. I know. I know. I don't want to get on her wrong side, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm just so impressed because I thought for a lot of people, especially people with congenital heart disease, that lifting would be contraindicated. Yeah. So for me, with a bicuspid valve, mm-hmm. the recommendation is not to lift anything more than 50 pounds. Right. With, right. A, with a bicuspid valve, because it is a tissue disorder, um, you can also get a, an aortic aneurysm from that. So I think almost everyone with bicuspid aortic valve has some restrictions on their aortic arch, which can cause a growth in that area. And I think lifting weights can be hazardous to that. Yeah. What I noticed with Benjamin Lee, who was featured on his show recently, was that he also lifts weights. But when he first got back, he would just lift small weights and do multiple reps. And that's one way that you can still do the lifting without possibly damaging your valves or any other part of your heart. So there are ways around it. That's what I love when I'm talking to the cardiac athletes is that they find ways to circumvent the problems that they've encountered. And I just think that's so inspiring. So you're a distance runner, right? Yes. Yeah, I did a marathon about a year before my heart surgery. So I was really running right up until the end. Although I had a really narrow aortic valve, I was still able to do most events. I think really the only big symptom that I had was if I stood up too quickly, I would get a bit lightheaded. Oh, so you so, never had any fainting episodes or shortness no, of breath? Like or Wow, yeah. that's surprising. And my, my aortic valve got down to what they would classify as severe to critical. Wow, yeah. that's really yeah. surprising. Because yeah. so other so think, people I've talked to who have that bicuspid aortic valve, that's the symptoms. You know, the fainting, yeah, yeah. the, the and the difficulty breathing. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and I think that's why it's important to really be healthy leading up to that, because I think Mm -hmm. I had a really low resting heart rate. I was in fairly decent shape. So I think a lot of that masked what would have been a symptom of failing heart. So I think it was beneficial to me for sure to be in to be in good shape leading up to that. Yeah, I don't know if it necessarily masked it or if you just had your heart in such prime shape that it didn't have the problems that somebody who wasn't in good shape would have. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think like you, the only you optimized your heart. <laughs> yeah. The only restriction they really put on that was just before that I was starting to get into triathlons and they said, you know what, maybe don't do the open water swims. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Just yeah. In case. yeah. Right. Just in case you don't want to be in the middle of the ocean or yes. middle of yes. any body of water. That yeah. would be scary. Yeah. So is that one of your goals now, Neil? Yeah, I'm doing the marathon Sunday. So same marathon I did just before heart surgery. So I just want to get that completed and kind of move on with that. And then next year, I hope to do a a half iron distance. And then maybe the following year to do a a full Ironman. And the Ironman is the one that has the three components, correct? It has the swimming, the biking, and the running. Yes. Yeah. And usually completed in 10 to 17 hours kind of thing. Wow. It's a fairly long event. It is. Do you have any yeah. advice for other people who are listening who may have a bicuspid aortic valve or who may have a child who has a bicuspid aortic valve? You know, when I was growing up, they said, just don't push yourself. And that was really the only advice that I had. And unfortunately, I think in my 20s and 30s, I used that sort of as an excuse to not exercise. Mm. And I kind of regret not fully pursuing an exercise or an active lifestyle. Until I got into really my 30s and 40s when I said, you know what, I think now's the time. It's kind of now or never to really try to get into shape and to see what the restrictions are. So if you are starting an exercise program, first of all, listen to your doctor and and get their advice, but also just listen to your body. Mm -hmm. You know, your body is going to be a really good telltale signs of any problems that you're having, shortness of breath or problems with like, you know, blue fingers or, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Absolutely. Well, I think that's great advice, especially I like you saying, listen to your body. I think you know your body better than anyone else does. And we do need to be attuned to what our body is telling us. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Neil. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. It was so much fun. uh, Thank you very much for what you're doing. And you know, the Cardiac Athletes Program has been really good. Yeah. I think the big advantage of it is after you have heart surgery, what I found personally is that the system is set up for a middle-aged man who has had a heart attack or some heart event because of an inactive lifestyle. Mm. So the cardiac rehab program is really set up for those kind of people who are not in good shape and they're starting from a heart event to try to get back into some sort of physical activity. So there's really no good advice given for, you know, if you're already in good shape, mm-hmm. how do you recover from a major heart surgery? So I think that's the main advantage of the cardiac athlete group is many of those people are active people and they've been through similar heart events. So, you know, getting that advice from them is really good. Right, right. I love it that all of you are there cheering for each other and providing support and information to each other that may not be readily available just anywhere. Yeah, for sure. And it's not available through the general physician system and the health system. Right. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. Please come back next week when we'll be featuring another cardiac athlete. And until then, remember, my friends, you are not alone.
Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.